From the studios of WHUP LP in Hillsborough, North Carolina, this is Dirty White Belt Radio. Innovative, often duplicated When enough people get on the trend I elevate it, make it way harder For them to follow what I take It hard to swallow like a lozenger Lodged in your trachea Goodness gracious, bruh, I can never make this up So just take your stuff Rake it up and take the bus Never fake the funk, you painted skunks You played enough, I'm lifting bars to outer space So the weight is up Fight, fight Welcome to another episode of Dirty White Belt Radio, everyone. We have a really exciting show for you today. Our friend Dominica Obelinite is back in the studio with us. She is teaching a workshop at Elevate MMA and will be teaching at Ragdoll Camps coming up. We'll talk to her about both of those things after the news segment. Very excited to talk to Dom again. But before we get into that, I need to tell you about all the amazing things going on, or at least as many of them as we can fit into the news segment. First of all, did you know we are doing the Dirty White Belt Radio Awards? This is the first annual Southeast American Jiu-Jitsu Awards from the tip of Washington, D.C. in the north down to the bottom of South Carolina. We are nominating and we are selecting people to get our first annual awards uh, in such categories as Jujitero of the Year. Will it be John Shell? John Shell currently ranked number three in the world uh, in the Masters 3 Brown Belt Division and at the New York BJJ Pro coming up this month will end up facing the number one and number two ranked guys, so could move up. Will it be John Shell to be Jujitero of the Year? For Jujitera of the Year, will it be Saida Durki, the Jinja Ninja, who just rolled 100, 100, that's not me messing up, 100 rounds at Grapplethon in D.C. this weekend, uh, which is very exciting, and congrats to Saida for helping to raise that money. Will it be Kim Rice, who medaled at the Worlds once again this year? Um, you can help us. You can help us uh, by telling us who you think should win. Our panel of seven distinguished judges from all around the region is going to decide. But you can email us at cagesidewhup at gmail.com or call and leave us a voicemail at the number we're going to post in the comments and tell us who you think should win the inaugural Dirty White Belt Radio Awards. As I mentioned, Grapplethon in D.C. was this weekend, but don't worry if you missed out on it. Um, you have a chance to do another Grapplethon this weekend. The Grapplethon at Beta Academy raised money for This Able Veteran, a charity for uh, veterans with PTSD. And I want to congratulate Lori Porsche for organizing another amazing event. I know a ton of people made the road trip up there, did a terrific, uh, cha- had a terrific time raising money for charity. If you did that and want to do it again, or if you missed that and just want to support another worthy cause, on November 11th, the George Pendergrass Foundation holding a, uh, a, a roll-a-thon at Pendergrass Academy of Martial Arts. That will raise money for the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society of America. So if you like jujitsu and hate cancer, and hopefully that's everybody who's listening to this podcast, you should get out and raise money for that. So thanks a lot to everybody who's helped us raise some money for some worthy causes. And speaking of which, of raising money for worthy causes, I want to take a time, take a moment on a personal note to thank everybody who supports the show and who supported the show in October. A lot of you know this, but many of you don't. We, we donated all of the revenue, all the gross revenue from the podcast, from advertising, from our Patreon support, and from uh, our merchandise sales to Puerto Rico hurricane relief from Hurricane Maria. Uh, really devastated the island, and we have to support our friends and neighbors in this time. And so you, the listener, helped us raise more than $600 for Puerto Rico hurricane relief in the month of October, and I could not possibly be more grateful. 
So that's what's going on in local jujitsu. There's a lot more that you can always follow along with on our Facebook page, uh, facebook.com slash Radio. We're posting a lot to the blog these days at dirtywhitebelt.com slash blog. You can always get at us and tell us what we missed or what you want to hear on the show at cagesidewhup at gmail.com or get at us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We are at Dirty White Belt on Instagram and DWB Radio on Twitter. Across this break, we are going to talk to Dominica about coming back from injury. We are going to talk to her about uh, some of her most memorable moments in jiu-jitsu, about the camps that she's doing these days, which include but are not limited to jiu-jitsu, her competition future, her art career, and uh, some of the most interesting happenings in local, regional, and global jiu-jitsu just on the other side of this break. Grapplers, there are a lot of different rule sets out there, but you know the only pure rule set there is? True submission only. And you know the only tournament organization to run true no-time-limit submission only? It's U.S. Grappling. And December 9th, true submission only U.S. Grappling comes back to Richmond, Virginia. Register early at usgrappling.com and get on out there for no-time limits, no points, and no excuses. usgrappling.com to register December 9th. Dominica Obelinite has won four gold medals at the Black Belt World Championships, two interweight class, two in the absolute, along with countless other jiu-jitsu honors. She's a force for good in the jiu-jitsu community, and we are really grateful to you for coming back again to Durham, North Carolina, to teach us some great techniques and talk to us on the show. Welcome back. Yes, thank you so much for having me. Hello, hello. So uh, Betsy O'Donovan is also in the studio with me, and I know Betsy will have some questions, including but not limited to jiu-jitsu questions, and uh, very excited to, uh, to share the next hour with you two. So, so Dom, let's get started. Uh, most people know that, unfortunately, you suffered a shoulder injury and had to have surgery. And so that's part of the reason that people haven't seen you out on the competition scene these days. And so I know shoulder injury is a major injury. And before that, you were a super active, super regular competitor, training all the time, competing all the time. That must be frustrating for you to, uh, to, um, to come back from a major injury like that. What's that process been like for you? So it's been incredibly frustrating. I am a young person, so I always think that I'm pretty invincible as is my body and every other injury that I've had so far I haven't had to do much PT for and honestly some of them have been scarily self-healing I had no PT for the last uh, knee dislocation that I had and after about a month I dropped my crutches I decided I was going to be healthy and my body somehow cooperated with my thought process and healed itself up and I had no more pain so I went right back into heavy training and this time around, it's been so much more difficult. I have been doing PT, probably not as much as I should be doing because, again, I still have that mantra in my head that it'll just go away on its own. And um, I've been trying really hard to take it easy and not jump right back into training. And there have been so many other things hindering this process. Uh, I have two really <laughs> funny and terrible stories about how I re-injured my shoulder. Mm. Um, I had did a internship over the summer at a gallery, and I was tasked with the, uh, the awful, daunting thing of assembling a very large mural of canvases in my supervisor's office. I had to climb up a very large ladder, and I am very clumsy in general, so obviously this is a recipe for disaster. And as I was fitting in one of the canvases, another canvas came loose and started falling. 
And I'm like, oh my God, I'm not even getting paid for this. And this is more than I make in a year if I damage this. So I had to sacrifice myself and rescue that canvas. And as it was falling, I grabbed it. As I grabbed it, I fell off the ladder. I swung out on my arm and hurt my shoulder again, fell on my supervisor's table, <laughs> and then limped into a cafe to get myself some ice and take a 20-minute break before reassembling that stupid mural and about not two weeks it sort after, of sort of gives new meaning to suffering for art yeah oh my gosh that's exactly. not how you're supposed to suffer for and art. it's not even my art in the first place that's what makes it all the more <laughs> disappointing um and then not two weeks later i was at this uh, art party at this uh girl's house and i was saying some funny things to somebody behind me while on a staircase and as i turned around my ankle kind of rolled and my body flung itself down a flight of stairs and to rescue myself i grabbed onto a railing let all of my body weight fall into my shoulder and again felt really searing terrible pain so it's been a very crazy road to recovery and all these little isolated incidents have not been helping and I've been extremely frustrated because jujitsu is my life. You know, I love teaching. I love training. I love being in that state of flow and kind of forgetting the stresses of the day. And not being able to do that is is crazy. And I can't wait for the moment that I'm healthy again. Mm-hmm. And so for the time being, at least you are able to continue to teach. Yeah. And so you taught a, a well-received workshop at, at Elevate MMA yesterday. I want to get into that after we uh, we finish talking a little bit about your injury. But, to you know, I think a lot of people that hear a shoulder injury don't understand exactly how major that can be. And from my understanding, you were on zero activity for two months. Like, don't do anything. Don't move the shoulder or oh anything. Gosh. Is that right? Yeah, I have never, ever had an injury like this. The surgery went pretty well. I was put on a ton of painkillers and I I, ta- I thought to myself, I'm not going to need these painkillers. I'm a pretty tough cookie. Like, I'm not going to need them. Oh my gosh, Jeff, the first night I woke up in searing pain. I took about three of whatever terrible drug they had <laughs> prescribed for me and felt a little bit better, not even totally well. And I wasn't allowed to move the shoulder for about a month and a half. I had to keep it in this very annoying sling that bulged out and made me like a really big target for people walking around in New York to slam into. And um, it was just a really annoying like road to recovery. I've never been forced to isolate something that I use so often. And it was it took a toll on my classes, especially because most of them are art classes and require both hands for working things, especially things like printmaking and handling large canvases. So I also had to rely on a lot of people to help me get through the period, and it was something I was completely unused to. Mm-hmm. Especially with like two major parts of your life being jujitsu and art, not being able to use this major part of your body involved in the creation of both of those things has to be difficult. I'm wondering, so when you teach, uh, is that something that's a substitute for you for rolling or is it more like uh, I just ate a meal that got me 30% full <laughs> or, or how, how is that for you? Is, a, it, is it good to teach or does it also a, remind you of rolling? That's a funny way of thinking about it. I think um, before uh, when I was competing a lot, teaching was the 30% full kind of thing. Um, I, I didn't really enjoy it as much because I thought it was just something to do in between training. And I didn't even enjoy like drilling moves or drilling techniques when other people were teaching. I just I thought it was a waste of time. No offense to anyone that ever taught me. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, now now that I'm teaching, I'm starting to realize how difficult it is and how much it actually takes to be a good teacher, what it takes to explain concepts and actually think about jujitsu in terms of concepts and not just 
this is what you do, A after B, you know, like things like that. And I've started to realize that it's also a skill that I need to manage. And so I've been focusing a lot on learning new techniques or at least fixing and adjusting my own techniques to uh, be useful for other body types and other people. And it's been like a journey and a task in and of itself. So I'm actually glad that I found teaching in all of this. I think it's really rewarding to see some somebody using your moves and actually progressing with your moves and seeing that help their jujitsu journey. I think it might be more rewarding than actually winning something. Mm-hmm. That's super fascinating, I think, because there are um, a lot of folks around the community who are notorious for being like, amazing to watch and if you could just watch them you would learn a lot (laughs) but the minute you ask them to explain their body mechanics or the details of their technique it is so intensely internalized particularly for people who started really young how old were you when you started I started when I was nine yeah so I think are you when you say you're thinking about the process of teaching one of the things I'm curious about is like do you find yourself going back and reconstructing every detail of the technique how do you approach it Absolutely. It's it's wild. It's wild to think that you don't know how to do a move using your words wh- that you've been doing for years and years, for decades. Um, I'm like only realizing now that uh, there's a reason why I have certain grips or there's a reason that I'm shifting my body weight this way. And I actually have to like, before every single class, I actually pull out a notebook and I, first I write down the moves that I'm going to teach. And then I do like a little tree diagram about why I'm doing this move where it's going to get me to how I'm gripping the person how I'm uh, how I'm maintaining them in one position what I'm what why is there a specific reason for me doing this specific thing and it's really telling like I I really hadn't thought about why I have certain grips or why I break certain grips like this until um, I started teaching and until other people started asking me questions you know because when you're a teacher people don't always just take in what you're giving them they're like well why is this useful why should I be doing this why should I be learning from you and then you're like whoa why are you learning from me now I have to think about what I have to offer and why it's useful Mm-hmm. Yeah. One of the things I thought was cool about the seminar yesterday, talking about structured learning and unstructured learning, is for about the first two hours, you showed really logical sequences of moves. And by the way, if you weren't there, you're going to get swept. So <laughs> just so you know, just so you know, it's, that it's happening. It's <laughs> happening. You, you were going to actualize your karma for not showing up. But but like you had a series of moves. It's like, hey, I do this. If the person does this, I react this way. A very structured chain of moves. And that was mostly most of the first two hours was exploring that position. But then for the final hour, you sort of threw it open to questions. And what I thought was very cool was the sort of wide diversity of questions that you got from the crowd. Everything from like particular grip questions to here's an esoteric position Mm -hmm. to, hey, conceptually, how do I think about jujitsu to lifestyle questions? Is that the kind of thing that you normally do at your seminars or was that just a spontaneous thing? I I normally, uh, especially when I'm not able to train, I feel like I don't want to jip the people that have like taken all this time and money to come. I don't want to give them an experience that is not worth their time so I feel I I like to open up the floor for a little forum of questions whether they be personal questions or just jujitsu based questions because I feel like people always go into a seminar to learn for like the best of the moves that you have to offer and then they also want to ask you advice about why you do certain things or how you would do certain things differently so I really enjoyed doing that segment and I really really enjoy the questions that people were asking yesterday Um, There were a lot of grip questions, which I usually don't get. And again, it it forced me to be in this mindset where I was actually thinking, why do I do these grips? Why am I gripping this grip like this? And why am I using this specific grip break? 
And I also really enjoy being completely open and honest about my jiu-jitsu philosophy. I had one person ask um, what I like to do for mount, and I straight up said, I hate mount. I prefer to be in closed guard. <laughs> and it's absolutely true. Like, closed guard is my favorite position to be in. I think it's much more useful than mount. And I'm not going to try to sugarcoat that. There are certain things that I like to do for mount, but it's um, it's just not a useful position for me. I'm a big lady, and... Um, I think that's really useful for somebody to hear. If they're a smaller person, perhaps they can think, oh, a larger person won't necessarily like being in mount because I'm really scrambly at the bottom and I'll get out. And for somebody that's my size, they're going to be like, oh, I have the same issues for mount. Perhaps I should work more into my closed guard and see how I can use that game. What I think is cool about that is it sort of challenges orthodoxy. And to hear that, like one of the wonderful things about jujitsu is there's so many ways to be a good jujitsu practitioner. And to hear... To hear you know, somebody, I think it was a white belt that asked that question, to, to hear early on in your career from someone as accomplished as you, hey, you know, there are a lot of ways to do this. And maybe that person is going to have an amazing mount by the time they're the black belt. Or maybe yeah. they're going to be like, you know what, I'd rather do closed guard. And that's <laughs> yes. all right. Yeah, I think it's fine. Um, so one other thing I wanted to ask you about the about, about the Elevate seminar before we move on to other teaching topics like the ragdoll camps that you're involved in. Um what, what I found interesting, there were a bunch of familiar faces, folks that had been to your seminars when you'd come through last time, like obviously Cody Malte, Summer Carpenter was there, you know, a, a number of different people that were like, hey, saw you, saw you again, we learned this last time, can mm -hmm. you extrapolate on that? But a bunch of people were also getting the chance to meet you and interact for the first time. So like as an instructor, do you think about that in terms of like, like what's it like to see recurring folk they're like oh hey I saw you six months ago I saw you a year ago how are things going um it, it feels absolutely amazing and makes me believe that I show them something of substance and value and that's what's making them come back or perhaps I'm just so amazing and fun <laughs> to talk to that people <laughs> like to be surrounded by me and both of these are great things um, so I really enjoyed seeing the familiar faces. I also really enjoyed seeing new faces that talked to me after and explained how much they got from the seminar and how they really enjoyed my teaching style and want to connect later on in life. Um, I just, I love the idea of seminars, especially seminars in different um, areas, areas that I would not necessarily go to unless like I was called out to. And I love meeting people from there because they become almost like lifelong friends. Like I've had people from Durham come visit me in New York and take my women's classes there, or just take my regular classes there. And it's, it's really fun. It's like one big massive community that's like spread throughout the world. Christmas is coming and it's time to get gifts for the grappler in your life. Every year at DirtyWhiteBelt.com on the blog we have a grappler's gift guide and we want your suggestions so be sure and tell us what you want for Christmas but I'll tell you on ToroBJJ.com right now I see a bunch of things that would be really useful including a Toro BJJ dress belt, a brand new Toro Gi or some of the sweet rash guards you can get from the best people with the best customer service around. Stop online at ToroBJJ.com and be sure to watch DirtyWhiteBelt.com for our grappler's gift guide this year. I think that actually brings us really nicely to the ragdoll camps, um, which sound amazing. Can you talk a little bit about the concept and how y'all came up with it? Sure. So um, I actually grew up um, training with Emily Kwok. And uh, for those of you that don't know, Emily Kwok is an extremely, extremely talented, well-known uh, female black belt. She owns Princeton BJJ in Princeton, New Jersey. And she herself, uh, Valerie Worthington, and Hanette Stack, two other amazing, extremely talented uh, women, black belts, 
created Groundswell Grappling Concepts, which is a grappling camp for women. And I think they've done a couple of gender-inclusive uh, camps. And I was, I took two of her camps before in my young age. I had a ton of fun. I met a ton of women that were just like me, that were having the same issues as me, that were training with similar types of people and experiencing the same kinds of things. And it was really amazing to be grouped in a room with them, not only get to train with them and work out and do something physical, but also just to talk to them and engage with them. Because sometimes um, when you're in jiu-jitsu and you're the only woman in your gym, you can feel a little bit excluded or a little bit isolated. And it was a really powerful environment to exist within. So I really enjoyed it. And um, she actually asked me when I became a black belt to co-host on one of the camps. And I was one of the instructors there. And I just, I, I loved it. I loved teaching. I loved engaging with all these women. And I really wanted to do something like that of my own. And I pitched this idea to my really good friend, Callie Brennan, who's a brown belt right now, and we're training, we're both training at Mushin Mixed Martial Arts. And we decided to come up with this camp called Ragdoll Camps. And we wanted to market it not as a grappling-only camp or a jiu-jitsu-only camp. We wanted to market it more of as a women's wellness camp, a place where women can get together and do like physical, um, emotional like discussions, and um, just have a good time and bond together and form these lasting relationships and friendships through a bunch of different activities that are like aimed towards wellness. And so we had, an, we had our first camp in New York in August. We had about 30 women come through and it was absolutely amazing. We had yoga, mobility classes, fitness classes, a lot of jujitsu, a lot of discussion sections, which I think were, I think might've been the most successful segments because mm -hmm. I feel like um, people don't think that they have a voice in the community when it's so large and sometimes when they're a minority in their school. And when we get together a group of individuals with like completely different stories or completely similar stories and you get them to open up about those stories, you really realize um, who is experiencing the same things, who's experiencing different things, and who is capable of offering great advice for dealing with these things. And so I think that was really successful. I think a lot of women found that they had agency within this community and were able to realize that. So we are just rolling with the momentum we had at our last camp. Uh, we're having our next camp in Winchester, Virginia at the Winchester Jiu-Jitsu Club um, next weekend from the 10th to the 12th. So there are still spots available for anyone listening if they want to join. Uh, we're going to have a lot of fun. The theme is more outdoorsy, so we're going to have a lot of outdoor activities. We're going to have hiking, horseback riding. Um, we're staying in this beautiful, beautiful cabin. So it's going to be a great time, and I can't wait for the next one. And how much does it, would it cost somebody to go up and do that? What's included? So this next camp is actually, it's going to be $375 for the camp-only package, which just includes coming to the camp, showing up, having a great time. And if you want to stay in our cabin as well, we have a $450 package. So that includes staying in this amazing cabin, which has a laundry room, by the way, which is a major plus, <laughs> and is in the middle of the woods, so we can obviously have campfires and eat s'mores. Nice. Oh, that's a great price point, too, for yeah. that kind of thing. And I noticed I was just on the Groundswell Grappling Concepts Facebook page while we were talking, and I noticed they're also having a camp on the 10th and 12th, but in Chicago. Mm -hmm. And I got to say, it's kind of awesome to see this many things 
aimed at women popping up all over the country Absolutely. that you don't have to just go to New York or LA to find other women. Absolutely. And I think I think we want to emphasize that we are not looking to make this a New York or East Coast only thing. We are looking to go to whatever areas we can be in demand. So we're thinking maybe for the next one, we'll go somewhere warmer, somewhere Florida or Arizona-esque and see what we can do there. We cool. want to bring the journey to the people. So if folks have an academy, are you generally hosting them out of academies? If people have an academy and they want to invite you guys to host a ragdoll camp there, is that something y'all are open to? Absolutely. We're absolutely open to that. How should they get at you about that? So uh, anybody that knows me by name can find me on Instagram. My handle is a little silly, so make sure you spell it right. It's Dom to bomb your mom. <laughs> <laughs> I have had too many people tell me to change it, but I can't at this point. I'm just, you no, know. No, it's on brand. It's on it's brand. On it's on. I'm making t-shirts, so it's too late. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you can also reach me on Facebook, and you can also shoot me a message on my website, www.dominica.com. Make sure you spell the Dominica right. It's D-O-M-I-N-Y-K-A. And we'll post links to all of those uh, social media and internet properties for Dom in the comments of this show. So if you're interested in either hosting her for a seminar or getting her out for a camp, uh, let us know. And you can also Google her because it's a lot easier to find someone of your name than it is to find someone named Jeff Shaw. It's just <laughs> Ungoogleable yeah. Jeff Shaw. It's Literally hundreds There's of There's one us. great thing about having an unpronounceable name. Ah, <laughs> 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 oh, man. So... Um, uh, the other thing I wanted to talk about, because you were talking about sort of this wholeness and wellness and your Instagram, is um, the stuff you're doing around art and sort of creating these intricate, highly detailed things. And I'm not, you're at Columbia right now? Yes. You're, I'm on my last semi-last year, graduating pretty soon. So I think it's really fascinating that you're a student in this one really intricate, technique-driven sort of school of work and then you are also at the point where you're teaching and sort of building community as a leader in this other intricate technique driven art and I'm wondering if there's a lot of feedback between the two things do you see your art and your jujitsu informing each other um that's a really great question um I had a professor tell me last year to actually channel my jujitsu into my creative process and I, I, I guess I would I do do it, but I don't do it in a literal sense. I tried to make a piece that involved actual jujitsu, like a jujitsu publication in a collage type of way, and it just didn't work out because I didn't see the idea. But I definitely see uh, jujitsu's influence on me in terms of my creative process. Um, I really enjoy seeing like movements and patterns and pathways in jujitsu that pertain to like circuitry and just um, like intertwining things. And that's what a lot of my art is about, is about connectivity and, you know, journeys and how one person can start from point A and get to point B in like this crazy convoluted way. And there's all like this strategy pertaining to all these journeys, which I think pertains a lot to jujitsu. And um, I don't see it like as as a literal influence, but I do see it as an influence in that way. And also a lot of my art is female focused so a lot of it is about female issues and a lot of it is about female identity so I I definitely have a lot of things to say about female identity in jiu-jitsu and it's it's definitely an influence in that aspect cool so uh, we want to talk about the rash guard 
Yeah, totally. Let's do it. Because we, we've talked with, with Dom about designing a rash guard for us here at Dirty White Belt, and we don't have too many con- – and I have a few conceptual ideas, but I'm just wondering, do you, do you take many commissions, and uh, what would excite you about working on a rash guard project? I mean, I've had, I've had commissions. I've had people throw me commissions, but when they do – I guess, you know, people look at artists and they're like, you always have ideas, right? So it'll, it'll be super easy for you to come up with an idea for my gear, I don't know, for my dog sweater. And I'm like, no, I'm actually not filled with ideas. I'm not a bottomless pit of concepts. I have my own things that I'm working on. But as I said before, like, sometimes they're not the most appropriate things to put on rash guard. <laughs> so um, I, I'm never, like, 100% sure of what they want. Because at the end of the day, rash guards are products. They're things that we want to sell. So maybe you don't want, like, a Dolly-esque, like, melting face or something on a rash guard. Or maybe you do. You're nodding your head very enthusiastically. So I'm thinking that that's the direction we're going in. It never gets weird enough for me, Dom. It never gets weird enough. <laughs> for me and our standards for appropriateness on the podcast are somewhat, <laughs> are somewhat pretty flexible low. <laughs> yeah. oh, that's perfect then okay we figured it out it's a melting face for sure well let's talk about it. like well the one question i have for you is because when you describe concepts like when someone comes to you with an idea do you want them to say things like like how detailed do of a concept do you like to get so if someone is like hey i want something that's about rebirth mm. or i want something that's about toughness yeah or, or would you do you, or is some if someone says something like more specificity with like yeah. hey i would like it to incorporate this element i would like to incorporate my dog fletcher the bloodhound <laughs> things like I that i would love to create fletcher <laughs> um I, I i guess i would prefer the here are all the elements that i want included what can you do with them like they don't all have to be included but i need something cohesive that involves these concepts um i prefer i definitely prefer that instead of Let's do something about rebirth, because when you say rebirth, I'm thinking vaginas. <laughs> I don't know if we can do that on a rash guard. But <laughs> I mean, if Georgia O'Keefe can get away with it, I feel I like mean, we can, too. Yeah, I, I suppose so. She's Georgia, not so special. Georgia is the man. Yeah, it's true. Um, yeah, but and the, on the other side of the spectrum, you get a lot of people that are like, oh, I want, like, a woman, and she's super muscular and hairy, and she's a werewolf, actually. Let's make that into a rash. And I'm like, no, dude, I'm not interested in that at all, but thank you for your time. <laughs> so no werewolves? Is this a firm rule? No no werewolves? Uh if if uh, so, if you have an idea for uh, for a concept that we can talk with Dom about making a rash guard for Dirty White Belt, do get at me on Facebook or Twitter because uh, I, I, I have some thoughts. But we should definitely continue this conversation. For sure, for sure. Christmas is coming, and it's time to get gifts for the grappler in your life. Every year at DirtyWhiteBelt.com on the blog, we have a grappler's gift guide, and we want your suggestions, so be sure and tell us what you want for Christmas. But I'll tell you, on ToroBJJ.com right now, I see a bunch of things that would be really useful, including a Toro BJJ dress belt, a brand new Toro gi, or some of the sweet rash guards you can get from the best people with the best customer service around. Shop online at ToroBJJ.com, and be sure to watch DirtyWhiteBelt.com for our grappler's gift guide this year. So you mentioned something earlier about, uh, you know, a lot of your art is about female identity. And, you know, a lot of people identify you as the, the, this 
the as the voice behind support women's BJJ or one of the voices for equality within the jiu-jitsu community. Yeah. And so I want to talk with you a little bit about that because something just happened recently out in California. There was a tournament that was paying cash prizes, mm. and which is great. We want yeah, more want more jiu-jitsu all athletes to get paid. Yes, all the pay. Yeah, no, I mean, <laughs> part of the goals for the podcast is to help build a scene where we can create a sustainable economy for jiu-jitsu athletes. And the problem is I think a lot of there's a lot of inequity. And so I, I've, I'm, I'm going to get the exact numbers wrong. Flo Grappling wrote about it if you're interested. But like they were going to pay the men a guaranteed number mm-hmm. and then they were going to pay the women a lower number but not guaranteed and it not had guaranteed. to be like only a certain it, amount yeah. of people show it up. It had to be I believe 12 women and I'm not entirely sure about the men's uh, pay. I just I only know about this concept because somebody brought it up in the sport women's BJJ page and I believe the women it had to be absolute so mm-hmm. you had to sign up for the absolute division there had to be 12 women for them to get a prize. And so what winds up happening is 12 women sign up and they agree to split the money. Uh, I believe I believe it wasn't 12. I believe it was less than 12. That's why people were in uproar. Oh, uh, okay. Mm-hmm. So what I think what happened was five five women actually signed up and here here are all the things that I really want to clarify about this thing cuz um, a lot of people because they know me as the equal pay girl and the support women's BJJ girl, which by the way I love being the ambassador of, but there's so many other people that also believe in this concept, so please don't think it's just me. Um, I'm nodding vigorously at this, too. (laughs) There are two more in the studio. (laughs) (laughs) Go to them, too. (laughs) Um, uh, So I actually did not know about this tournament until very recently, and a lot of people were saying, why aren't women promoting it? Why aren't women in the Support Women's Religion community talking about it? Like, if we want equal money, we should be promoting it. I didn't hear about this tournament. I literally did not know that it even existed or that they were offering equal prize money, and a lot, a lot of women on that page responded with the same thing. Um, It doesn't seem like that particular organization put in a lot of effort into advertising it, so that I, that's what makes me think that a lot of people didn't hear about it because it was so poorly advertised. And another thing is um, those uh, women that signed up, they're, they're quite big. Most of them are middle heavy to heavyweights. And one of the women that is actually an, uh, an avid competitor, Maxine Thailand, she herself came forward and said, you had to sign up for the absolute to get the money. And I myself am a small girl. I saw the kinds of girls that had signed up for the absolute. And I don't feel like injuring my body, essentially. I don't feel like having somebody that's 100, 100 pounds heavier than me actually like drop their weight on me. I don't feel like that's going to be useful for me as an athlete. So I completely get where she's coming from. So those two concepts working together is what makes me think that that tournament was not super successful and I don't think that the blame should be put on women that didn't sign up because how are you to sign up for something if you don't even know it exists Uh, that's entirely on the actual organization and I completely understand where women that don't want to sign up for the absolute are coming from no one is no one is forced to do the absolute no one is forced to put their body in danger if they feel like the weight difference is too great what I do want to talk about is how amazing it is that those five women that came together to actually do the absolute division they were offered a prize money of, I believe, $5,000, and they decided to split it evenly. And if that's not a grand show of camaraderie and love for female jujitsu, I don't know what is. I think that's an amazing stance they took. I think it's um, amazing the kind of friendships we have cultivated among world champions now, the amount of respect. There's not, uh, there's not as much, like, ferocity these mm-hmm. days as you would see, I think, like, five years ago. Mm-hmm. You would see a lot of 
uh, not only male to male, but female to female competitors, not talking to each other, not interacting with each other, um, playing this sort of you're my enemy as an opponent, so I won't engage with you kind of thing. And now all of these women are friends. They are friends. They train together. They travel together. They compete alongside each other and against each other. And it doesn't get in the way of how they engage with each other. And I think that's beautiful. Yeah, most definitely. I've never identified with the need to mean mug another competitor. And like, I, I know. Really, that Jeff? Yeah. Really? <laughs> <laughs> You're not a mean mug? Yeah, right. I know. I'm the, I'm the, uh, I, I know this shocks everyone in the listening audience as well. But like, you know, I know, I know some people, some people have uh, failed the need to do that. I've just never understood it. And, um, you know, we're all trying to do the same things here. Yeah. There's an interesting, actually, it, two things you said about this remind me of things that are kind of happening in the wider world. So, um, for a lot of professional conferences, like I, in my day job life, I spend a lot of time going to journalism conferences yeah. and so these national and international conversations about all kinds of things. And there was a panel about women in media at a conference about three years ago, and every panelist was male. And oh my goodness, yeah. I've heard about. And this. it would be nice if that were less shocking, but it yeah. was nobody was everybody was <laughs> mad, nobody was shocked. And um, and but out of that emerged this really interesting um, thing called the pledge, or sometimes it's called the fifty fifty pledge. And what it is is male allies will. Uh, this guy said basically, I'm no longer going to be available to speak at conferences where there are not more than one woman, uh, more, uh, where there is any panel without at least two women. Mm. Um, and not just women as the moderator, which is usually just like the, hey, I'm going to introduce all these special yeah. men kind of thing. And I think w what that has brought to light, because so many men are opting in on this pledge and saying, I'm not going to be in these spaces that where excellent women are just boxed out, has meant that at these conferences, they're actively recruiting. So you talked about the advertising problem with mm -hmm. this tournament. And I think one of the things that it's really incumbent, because so many women have a hard time, particularly at upper belts, you know, have such a hard time finding matches at their weights. Mm. And it is because the community is smaller. But I think something you're saying here that's really important is, look, you, because the community is smaller, if you want to have great tournaments, it is incumbent on tournament organizers to make matches. Like, mm. We are at the point in development for men where the guys will just show up because there are lots of them. Yes. But women, the women's scene is still emerging, and it's not about quotas. It's about making sure that you're fostering this sport. Yes. Um, and so I think it would be nice to see something like that in jujitsu, where, you know, the guys were keeping an eye out and making sure the women's divisions were actually being attended to, where organizers were feeling a penalty mm. if they didn't do a good job filling out and recruiting for these like great opportunities yeah yeah so. I, com I completely agree I think um I think one thing that we also don't talk about is the more that jiu-jitsu grows and the more that jiu-jitsu organizations grow the more tournaments are available to us and what one of my friends told me I believe this is what's happening in Australia is a lot of tournaments are popping up and not a lot of there's like the amount of women that are competing is dropping not because the overall like amount or group of people competing is getting smaller it's because there's more availability so now somebody that lives two hours away is maybe gonna opt out of competing somewhere that's so far and is gonna do a more in-house thing later on mm -hmm. so that's what's happening and i think it's important to not to make the distinction that this is not the sport regressing 
this is not women's jujitsu getting a smaller population. This is just more availability and not a lot of people to come. Yeah, I think that's a really important distinction. And as the sport grows, these are the kind of growing pains that we're going to have to deal with. U.S. Grappling is our favorite tournament organization for a lot of reasons. Run by grapplers for grapplers, U.S. Grappling consistently provides the best tournament experience for competitors. Whether it's a points tournament or submission only, and U.S. Grappling runs true no-time-limit submission-only events, it's the best place to compete and to watch your friends compete. Check out upcoming events and register online at usgrappling.com. So I think this segues us to talk a little bit about um, both your competition history and your competition future. Um, so I want to start with history, which is our good friend Sam Fallhaber, who's been on the show a couple times, <laughs> yes. has had competition matches with you. I believe the first match you had was when you were actually 12 years old. Is that yeah, right? Yeah, that's absolutely right. Um, I grew up watching Sam compete, and I used to be a big Naga junkie. I'd go to all the Nagas ever, and I usually, in the in the beginning, I sucked. I sucked hard. <laughs> I won nothing. I lost everything. I didn't know what a sweep was, so, you know, that's how far I was going to get and I grew up watching Sam and Sam was always amazing Sam would always win everything and Sam was really quick and amazing and I was like I want to be a blue belt just like Sam she's so cool and at some point I actually got pretty okay at competitions and Sam and I were forced to face off each other and it was a really really great match and we became really good friends after that and Ever since then, I've been, like, inviting Sam to open match. He's been inviting me places to go, and we've just been keeping tab on each other, and it's really nice. Yeah, and it's great having Sam down in the area doing the functional movement stuff that she's doing now. And it's sort of interesting that your journey has sort of converged again with your both black belts, both actively teaching. Mm, yeah. So in terms of competition, like, you know, you, you're still, you, your shoulder is still is still a mess, and I, I imagine there's no time frame for you to return to competition. There is no set time frame, so anybody listening out there, be sensitive to my poor broken heart and <laughs> stop asking me why I'm not competing because, honey, I'm hurt. <laughs> I can't. <laughs> I can't do it. I blame the art thing. I blame the two art stories. Yeah. From uh, the, the art, yeah, art is violent. Mm. Art is violent and mm. angry, and it can kill you. <laughs> Tried very hard. <laughs> um, so, uh, so not competing because of the injury, but you know, you. I think there's something really interesting and ha maybe hard about being a four-time world champion at your age. Um, and then the question is, where do you go from there? Like, it's clearly you're moving into a teaching space, but what else do you see? Yeah, um, that's such a difficult question. You're I think. Welcome. Oh yeah, thank you so much. <laughs> I have to leave. I have a business appointment to get to. <laughs> so uh, I think there's a, a limited amount of things one can do with jujitsu. Theoretically speaking, you can open up your own gym. You can become an instructor. You can be a competitor, um, or you can just enjoy the art for what it is and keep it as a hobby. Um, for me, it's always been about finding and reaching the next step. So since I've become a world champion, that was like my ultimate goal, by the way, to win black belt absolute. And I did it twice in a row. And um, then I got injured really, really badly. So now everything has kind of been put in perspective. And I'm thinking, uh, as one does think when they're desperate and sad about not being able to compete, have is this it for me? Is this the end of my competition journey uh, was were those wins all I'm gonna do with the rest of jujitsu in terms of competition? And I really can't answer that question. I know that I know that uh, 
when I feel better, I'll have a different answer. But for now, I'm entertaining the idea of doing super fights and sticking to super fights only because um, I, th I just think they're more like predictable in the sense that I can prepare for them. I know who I'm going to be matched up against. Um, there's a bit more control in terms of weight and size, so you're not immediately going to be grouped in with someone that's 100 pounds smaller or 100 pounds bigger than you. Um, so I'm, I'm going to entertain those more. And in terms of regular competition, I don't know if I'm going to be back, to be honest. Um, I there's so much stress associated with it. And to be quite honest, I competed a lot for recognition and for, you know, a pat on the back from the general audience that's watching you and saying, wow, that's great that you won. Um, I always pose this question to other champions. Would you be doing the same thing if this wasn't a televised or flow grapplingized event if people weren't present if it was just you another person and a ref a random ref and nobody heard about it after would you still be doing it so i think that really puts things in perspective and makes me kind of reconsider whether i want to dedicate myself to the sport in a competitive way since it does include a lot of overtraining a lot of burning yourself out a lot of stupid diets which i hate because i love freaking chocolate and it's not good for me <laughs> and just other really draining things so you know time will tell yeah we talked yesterday a little bit about this period you're in the sort of before you're ready to entertain the idea of opening a gym but you're doing the things that like a journeyman in art would do in jujitsu. Like it's weird to talk about a black belt a world champion as someone who's at the journeyman <laughs> stage of her career. <laughs> but it feels like you're doing something really interesting in terms of like traveling around and connecting with people and thinking yeah. before you decide on what you're gonna do with this sort of master period of yeah. your life. I like to think of myself as a, in my apprentice stages, mm -hmm. I'm collecting stories and collecting advice and collecting feedback from people that are both really successful at what they do, whether it be owning a gym or instructing, and then people that aren't that successful. So, you know, you get both sides of the story and you get to learn from both uh, identities. And I, I feel like I'm way too immature being 22, sometimes calling myself 18, <laughs> <laughs> to actually entertain the idea of opening an academy just yet. It's a lot of brain power, a lot of financial power at work, and there's just so much to be done. And I'm, I don't want to be, not tied down, but I don't want to be forced to focus on all these very, very important integral things at such a young age when I have so many other things floating around in my head. So it's definitely something that's on the back burner. That's something that I'll always consider uh, a thing to want or to aspire to have. Um, but right now I'm just enjoying traveling, doing seminars, creating these camps and connecting with people and offering them something that perhaps they didn't have. And in return, they give me something that I didn't know. I think that's wonderful. Sounds fun. <laughs> <laughs> so you mentioned the possibility of doing super fights if, if when, when you come back. And so I have a two-part question, that, you know, because I know you still keep in touch with the competition scene. And so I'm wondering, is there anyone competing now in the women's division especially, but also the men's division, who has particularly impressed you over the last, like, year or so as, like, wow, that person is doing awesome? Yeah. And is there anyone that you're like, man, I would love to have a match with, insert name, that I haven't had a match with yet? So um, I... All of these women I would love to train against, compete against. Um, they are equally amazing and role models for me. I think 
uh, Bianca or Bia Basilio. Holy crap, that girl can move. Like, watching her, she's, like, one of the most dynamic uh, fighters right now at the moment for me. Then um, Ana Carolina Vieira, Hudolfo's little sister, she's also amazing. She has a very, in my opinion, Hanette Stack-esque game where she can control and shut down things really well. Amazing person to watch. Um, Nat- Natieli de Jesus. Oh my goodness, she's my <laughs> size. She's well, she's a lot. Uh, she's a smaller weight than me, but she's around my height. And she uses her long legs like I use my long legs. And I'm like, oh, my goodness, if we just combined our long legs together, what would happen? It'd be like a whole <laughs> convoluted mess of legs happening. Um, and, of course, Tiani Porfirio, um, for a woman of her size, she can move very well. She has cardio for days. And she has technique, which a lot of people love to criticize people that are larger in size, that they have no technique, that they just rely on size. Obviously, size is a plus when you're going in someone smaller. But boy, Tayani, she has some great technique. I really enjoy watching her matches. I love that she never stops and never just decides to like launch her weight onto somebody and stay there and flatten someone out like a pancake. No, she's actually moving. She's actually thinking about what she's going to do next. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Anna Carolina had a great match against Kim Rice, and I know that Natiele had a match against uh, Caitlin Huggins this really? past year. Yeah, so both of those are outstanding, outstanding performers. And I think everybody right now, I think Tiani is the sort of consensus choice of like the person, the 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 most dangerous person to face right now, yeah, like, I think, yeah. and, and somebody that we'd love to see you compete against when, when you get back. Um, so uh, what about what, what about the men's divisions? Do you f- stay up in the men's divisions at all? Like, are there particular, are there particular athletes that you enjoy watching? Um, I do. I do and I don't. I mean, uh, it's, it's hard to say because the men's divisions have not had a complete overtake. There's still a lot of people that are legends that continue competing to compete. Sorry, like Cabrinha, um, Cyborg, Claudio Colasans, Andre Galvao, Jackson Souza, all those people. Um, so I, I do keep updated. I'm really into um, this new tournament that's being hosted in New York, Kasai Grappling. They're having they're having a pro division, and I believe one of the one of the main matches is going to be Gary Tonin versus Yuri Simoj, and I think that is a great matchup. I think that's someone. So two fighters that we really want to see go against each other. Um, and I also um, think that this past uh, ADCC was uh, very, very fun to watch. It's really amazing how this um, new generation of leg lockers has been growing and coming out and dominating. Yeah. yeah so you mentioned both ADCC and Kasai, and I want to lift up both of those. Like, this past ADCC was extremely entertaining. Like, I think a lot of people got to see Bianca for the first time in her match against Toledo, which was one of, I think, the best matches of the year. Yes. Just an outstanding match. And I'm super excited for Kasai. We've talked about going up to cover it live. It's um, the s- please it's come. I'll be there. Oh, awesome. <laughs> awesome. So for those of you that want to either watch it remotely or come up, it's the December 9th, and you mentioned a lot of names are going to be involved. Gary Tonin, Yuri Samoas, Gordon Ryan. Uh, you, uh, our last week's podcast guest, Junio Ocasio, won a spot into that eight-person bracket, which also includes, like, uh, Mantra Cara, you know, uh, you know, numerous, numerous uh, excellent names. So really exciting time to be to be a part of the jiu-jitsu competition scene. Yeah, yeah, very exciting, and it's amazing that it's happening in the East Coast. 
very rarely do we see like qualifier tournaments or big name tournaments happening in the East Coast unless they're super fights. And this is just going to be extremely exciting. Yeah, so you guys should all come. Even if you don't like jujitsu, just come hang out with me. <laughs> exactly. I have stories. I have cookies that I can't eat, but I'll give to you. So, yeah, Thanks. Dom's not eating sugar right now, which is a great sacrifice. Like on a, <laughs> on, on a scale of one to ten, with ten being the shoulder injury, how bad is not eating sugar? Uh, it's like a death sentence. <laughs> <laughs> it's 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 pretty awful. I did a month of uh, eating no sugar, no carbs. It's, like, I will say no sugar, no carbs. My boyfriend would say, oh, you ate some carbs, so don't lie. And I did. I, it's true. I did eat some carbs. But um, You have it, to eat carbs or die, though. Yeah, like that, <laughs> that's what I'm saying. Like, I'm not, I'm not trying to die. So um, it was a really, really eye-opening month. The first two weeks were horrible. I hated everything about myself and the world. I hated that uh, there was this conspiracy of advertisers trying to bombard me with burgers and freaking hot dogs and jumbo shrimp i don't even like shrimp and the shrimp look good <laughs> so <laughs> i really hated that everywhere i turned there'd be like terrible processed food and i couldn't eat any of it and mm. i had all these cravings and then when the month was over the cravings were pretty much gone i saw how how much i changed i was focusing on activities and doing things rather than focusing on what my next meal was going to be so that was really new and then i my had a little cheat day I had some chicken and waffles and then went to a diner and had mac and cheese, grilled cheese sandwich and a giant milkshake and then kind of fell off the wagon <laughs> for maybe about a month. And now I'm back on it because honestly, I hit a real slump about two weeks ago. Um, I was just really getting down on myself. I wasn't training and training something that I love to do. So I was thinking about ma uh, theoretically thinking about the idea of never training again. And that really hurt my soul and that, coupled with the kind of stress or anxiety of finishing school and not knowing where to go, um, was really getting me down. And um, my boyfriend suggested, again, why don't you try cutting out sugar because I feel like you'll feel better. And I was like, you're stupid. Chocolate <laughs> is great for you. And then I stopped eating sugar. And within two days, I felt amazing. I felt like this giant cloud, this giant rain cloud that I had over my head had lifted. And it was amazing. I, I really didn't expect a result like that. I still to this day don't feel cranky like I did when I first did the the month long uh, kind of cutout. Um, I feel I feel great. I don't feel like I have a ton of energy to use, but I, I do feel um, I do feel more at peace. So it's helping. Yeah. I think this has helped me solidify where the jiu-jitsu commune needs to be. And I think we need to start the jiu-jitsu commune in Belize. And the reason for that, there are many reasons for that. But one of, the, one of the reasons is they make traditional Mayan chocolate down there with no added sugar. Wow. So me and Betsy, when we were down there for our honeymoon recently, went through this workshop where they were like, all right, you know, you ferment the cocoa bean and then you grind it on a stone and it tastes amazing, but there's no added sugar. So, so Fun fact, cocoa beans are pink. Yes, they're like pink. Light pink. Yeah, they they made they I I'm not sure where I saw this, but I saw that they're going to begin marketing like this pink chocolate that has no added sugar in it and I was like, "What?" It's it's wacky the whole process of Did how Susan to Susan G chocolate. Komen copyright, copyright that already <laughs> because if not that's coming. You know it's coming. But yeah, it's but it was totally fascinating because you still got that like awesome bitterness and I love chocolate and mole's. Like I'm a savory person, not yeah. a sweet person, but um, yeah, I, the world would be a dimmer thing without good without cocoa. Yeah. The the issue that I experienced when I was doing no sugar, one of the recommendations I got was to do 100% dark chocolate with uh, almond butter. 
And I was like, you know what? 100% dark chocolate, like, it's still going to taste kind of sweet, right? Oh, my God, nope. guys. No, it does not. <laughs> it it just tastes like bitter. It tastes like shoes. It tastes like bitter and shoes and, like, rubber. And I, I did not like it one bit. Um, the only good thing about eating the almond butter and dark chocolate was the almond butter. So I was like, <laughs> why don't I just eat the almond butter then? Um, I do, I do like carob chips a lot. Mm-hmm. Carob, carob is this re- really interesting flavor that my friend told me uh, comes from milk powder that I really enjoyed. So if you're if you're a big chocolate person and you're trying to cut out the sugar, try some carob chips. I love this. I always get like the best. I love talking about nutrition with jujitsu people because it's like everybody has their own trick. Yeah. Like their thing where they're just like, here is how I satisfy when I am like thinking about getting light. And yeah. Yeah. Our good friend Dewan Owens, who came in right at the end of your seminar, and who's been on the show several times, one of the most uh, successful MMA fighters in North Carolina history, uh, victor at the most recent Toro Cup, and f- is fighting again in December. Uh, he has one of the best, or I have one of my favorite, like how I satisfy my cravings stories. So Dewan was training for an MMA fight, and he's about a week out from his fight. So he's like in the depths of the weight cut, and there was some UFC that we really wanted to see. So we go out to the, the local sports bar, Tobacco Road, eating fancy food, watching the fights. Dewan texts us. I was like, hey, where are you guys at? And we tell him. And he comes out. And as he walks in, I'm thinking, man, what a terrible thing. Like, you are a week out from your pro MMA fight. And here we are. We got nachos. People have burgers. People got chicken wings. People got all, you know, all the things you get at a sports bar. And Dewan sits down next to me. We're talking. And I, I forget what, I, what, I, what I've got. Probably nachos. Let's just say it was nachos. <laughs> and and Dewan says, hey. Uh, I, and I'm like, oh, man, I'm so sorry we had you out to to this place like we're drinking beers you know you can't do any of these things he's like oh no man but i have one favor to ask i'm like what's the favor duan says can i smell your food (laughs) and 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 i'm like what do you mean man he's like no no it'll it'll help let me smell your food and i was like sure and duan gets his face about an inch from my food and just like Oh my and, god! And I'm like, and now to me, and he he legitimately felt better. He was like, oh no, that was great, man. That was really satisfying. Thanks for letting me do that. And I was like, to me, that sounds like torture. Mm-hmm. Where it's like, oh, I really want to eat that. Let me get really close to it. And smell is such a a a, 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 a you know so intricately linked with uh, with taste that like I think that would drive me insane. But it's one of Dewan's methods that seems to work for him. Which is that's funny that you say that and you bring it up as such an anomaly because I do that all the oh. time. <laughs> I do that all the time. I don't know. I don't know what it is. I, I do think it's a little bit uh, like self-flagellation um, because I, I don't feel like satisfied or anything. It just it just feels good to smell something super delicious. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually used to be a terrible, terrible weight cutter. I kind of still would be, I think, if I if I tried it again. I'm like very unhealthy with my weight cuts. But when I was around like 16, I did this thing where being like a really stupid kid, I'd be like, if I chew it and then I spit it out, I don't get the calories. So I would do this thing where I would buy like all this crap, all these like chocolate covered Belgian cookies and like fruit snacks and stuff. And I I just like sit there in the bathroom and I'd like spit it into the toilet and be like, yep, this is this is how is my life right now. Oh, not yeah. healthy, babe. No, not healthy at all. And as I later found out that mm, spitting it out doesn't mean you're not getting the sugar. <laughs> Although I will say if, if both you and Dewan Owens sniff food and if it's going to make me as good as the two of you are I'm just going to start doing that (laughs) so I think that's probably all that I need to do to get better at jujitsu is just start smelling food yes (laughs) so in the few minutes we have left is there anything that we haven't asked about that you really wish we would have asked about or anything that you think it's really important that people know 
important. Oh my gosh, I hate being put on the spot like this because there's definitely things that I do want to talk about. Well, let me put, uh, we'll judge you forever based on your answers. Oh gosh, let me put yes. Betsy on the spot first then yes. where I could stall for you, which is Betsy, do you have any other questions for Dom before we go to the last question with Dom? I have Dom. a million questions for ask Dom. Ask them. Ask them in a pluggish manner. But I, I want you to come back, so I'm only going to ask you one. And this is this is my question. Um, as you think about like the one of the things we talk about on the show is like who supports us um, the companies and friends and people who have our back and what that means for us and I am curious um, who has had your back who has been helpful to you oh thank you so much okay well yes so since I've been a black belt I've I think uh, since I've been at Bramble, actually one of the most helpful brands in my life that's actually really useful and gives back to a lot of people is Digitsu. They um, have they did my first instructional. I have another instructional coming out with them pretty soon. Oh, hey, yeah, they've they've been really amazing. Charlie Charlie Liu, he's a black belt. He's incredibly amazing, a really giving person. He's done many different instructionals with many different people and. He always donates instructionals to any cause that I'm working behind, and he's always advertising on my behalf. So he's truly amazing soul, truly like into the community, wants to give back and share information with people. Let me hop into your plug by saying I own at least five digits of instructionals, all of which are outstanding. Yours, Samantha Fallhaber has a great one. Paul Schreiner has two of them. I own both of those. Those are excellent. And the Jiu-Jitsu app on your phone lets yes. you take it anywhere you go. If yeah, if you own an instructional, it's safe to say it's probably jujitsu. <laughs> They're the kings of creating these instructionals. Um, another big help in the um, in the past was definitely La Monica's New York Pizza. This is the most fun one to talk about because people <laughs> people are always asking me like, so do you get free pizza? I'm like. No, you know, the guy's located in Santa Monica, California, so I really don't, being in New York and all. That's a really long delivery wait. It's super long. Uh, he, he has factories um, basically all over the world and manufactures amazing pizza dough, but I, I, don't, get, I don't get pizza, but I, I get a lot of good things from Monica. He's, he's the man. Nice. And um, lastly, uh, my awesome sponsors, Shoyerol, they're always giving me the coolest geese and the coolest gear. And I know a lot of you guys out there are Shoyerol fanboys, and no, you can't have any of my geese. They're mine. I like them. They're pretty. I like to wear them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, and um, Shoyerol and I were looking to collaborate on some projects in the future, so stay tuned for any kind of gear or anything that might be Dominica-based. Mm-hmm. And let me also just say, it's kind of awesome that you have a pizza sponsor patch on your gi. That's, that's what just, everybody said. Yeah, it's pretty dope. I'm waiting. I'm waiting for the donut sponsor, although I'm not sure I'll be able to do that if I continue the sugar-free mm. lifestyle. Mm. Tis, tis. Well, if you if you go if you fall off the sugar wagon, there are two terrific donut places in Durham that we'll take you to next time you're here. And we do hope you will come back soon because we had a great time learning from, training with, and otherwise hanging out with you. So, mm-hmm. Dominica, welcome back to Durham, and thanks for hanging out with us. Yes, thank you so much for having me, guys. Any anyone out there listening please come to Durham there are amazing people here there it's an amazing community with lots of cool places to go went to a magic shop earlier was not disappointed um come to Durham come to Durham you won't regret it Dominica is also sponsored by the Durham Convention and Visitors Bureau. (laughs) In the future, I'm sure. That was a pretty good pitch. In the future. (laughs) She's not wrong, though. Durham is awesome. Come out, train with us, learn from some of the best folks in the world. And we will post a link in the comments of the show if you're interested in anything Dominica talked about in terms of ragdoll grappling camps, 
uh, her instructional, how to get at her on social media. We'll post links to those in the comments of the show. So that's our show for the week. Uh, we hope you enjoyed it. We have a lot of exciting things coming up. The, remember the Dirty White Belt Awards. If you know who you think should be the Jujutero and Jujutero of the Year, the most inspirational Jujutero or Jujutero of the Year, if you have a Match of the Year candidate, that's your favorite, either for men or women. We have categories for both. If you have a, a particular incident that you want to highlight, that you have a link to, go ahead and send it to us, cagesidewhup at gmail.com or at our Google Voice number, which we will post in the comments. This is Dirty White Belt Radio. My name is Jeff Shaw, the co-hosts of the show are Betsy O'Donovan and Lourdes Cantu. We want to thank, as always, our Patreon supporters, Chris Holmes, Betty Broadhurst, Cody Malte, Carl Krebs. You can join them for as little as a dollar a month supporting the show at patreon.com slash dirtywhitebelt. My name is Jeff Shaw. This is Dirty White Belt Radio. We have enjoyed, as always, talking to you, and we will see y'all next week.